And good morning and welcome to Trinity once again. My name is John Ziegler and I am the pastor here. And this morning I have the pleasure of welcoming Father Benjamin, who is coming to us from Peace Prep Academy. So Father Benjamin is a priest in our diocese, but he also leads one of our ministry partners uh, that we have a chance to, to partner with uh, through our giving and uh, hopefully through our service, maybe in the future. We'll see what opportunities arise. And uh, I'm just really thankful uh, for Father Benjamin and, and um, his ministry, and it's been a huge inspiration to me, and I know it's going to be an inspiration to you as well. Father Benjamin, would you come? Thanks, John, and thank you all. I'm going to, uh, at John's request, not for self-aggrandizement, share a little bit about myself this morning before I dig in, but I'm super grateful to be with you. Um, I think even more grateful to unpack an idea like the Trinity in a season like this that I know that this church is in, so I just feel grateful to steward this moment with you this morning, but you should know a little bit about me um, and where I come from or how I come to you. I was 18. Um, I was a Bible college student, and I was at a Southern Baptist college, but I was raised in a Pentecostal church. And so some things were going on in my life. I got pretty quickly disillusioned by the debates that were happening in the coffee shop around Calvinism or Arminianism. And there was an incongruence in the lives of the people that I was around and the words that I was reading in the Gospels and what was coming off the pages to me about what God wanted to do into the world. And so this all came to a head in a moment where we were in a chapel. And every Wednesday, we had a chapel called Encounter Missions. And, and regularly, a missionary would come from some part of the world and share about what they were doing. But this particular Wednesday, our, our new dean got up in the front of the chapel and said, today we're not going to hear from anyone. We're going to encounter missions. We're going to go out into the streets of downtown Dallas, a novel idea. Uh, and so he said, you got a few minutes to partner up. Uh, I've laid out some tracks for you here on the altar to grab and head out and share the gospel. That's what we're doing today. And so I found a few upperclassmen, one whose father ran a ministry serving people experiencing homelessness, and we went out. Um, and he said, look, I know where to go. This will be great. And so we went and found a man, went to Subway and shared a sandwich with him. And it was at that meal that I experienced the presence of Jesus in a way that I never had before. In the face of this man experiencing homelessness, I began to see the face of Jesus. And something in me started to shake. Something was planted in me that really led me to this kind of journey I've been on for the last 17 years or so of trying to see the face of Jesus in the marginalized, in the vulnerable, in the people who uh, we would rather not see at times or we'd rather not interact with. And so from there, natural next step, I asked my high school senior girlfriend how she felt about getting married and going to be urban missionaries for a year. Uh, spoiler alert, she said yes. Um, so next month, we'll be married 16 years. And we spent the bulk of that time, about 12 years, living in English Avenue, a community on the west side of Atlanta, and really just pursuing shalom alongside our neighbors. This is a place where 
If you're not familiar, it's known as the largest open-air heroin market in the southeastern United States. It's a place where sex and human trafficking are a daily reality. It's a place where around 60% of the homes are vacant, boarded up, or abandoned. And it's a place that had not had a school or any type of offering for children or families for 20 years. And it meets the qualifications of any kind of desert that you might think of, food, resource, otherwise. And it's just a place that's 14 miles from where we sit this morning. In that time, we've been blessed to have five children um, through birth and adoption. And then seven years ago, we started a school, uh, Peace Preparatory Academy. And we have the privilege of educating whole children, supporting whole families, and providing growth and change opportunities for whole communities in a pay-what-you're-able, high-quality, Christ-centered learning environment. This work's been motivated by a heart to see flourishing in children and families in a neighborhood where the life expectancy is 20 years less than other parts of our city. And quite frankly, that is a gospel issue. But it's also a place where the evidence of the gospel, the evidence of the presence of Jesus is right in front of you if you have eyes to see I've learned so much about the character of God from my neighbors, particularly those who are experiencing homelessness. My friend Cliff taught me about the protection of God as he watched over us in our early years in the neighborhood. My friend Cindy, who's hearing impaired, invited me to experience the safety that God offers us as she uh, asked me to watch over her as she washed her hair in my outside faucets. My friend Artis, Artis was the first one to call me Rev before I was ordained. An artist teaches me daily about work ethic and dignity as he surveys the neighborhood looking for work so that he can afford the $7 it costs to sleep in the shelter. In short, I've gained so much more than I've given from this beloved community. And the last thing I'll say about myself for now, as you've concluded, I was ordained to the priesthood three years ago. This was a process, really an affirmation from our bishop that the fruit of the work at Peace Prep, the fruit of the work in our neighborhood was priestly work. It was pastoral work. And I put this collar on every morning and walk into spaces to invite people to see that all work is God's work. And I'm pretty astounded that me, a Bible school dropout, has continued to be invited by God to know him in this way and to join where God's working in the world. And I believe succinctly that God's asked me to help people see, hear, and imagine the activity of God in the world today. And so that's what I hope to do this morning is to help us locate ourselves in this story to see and hear and imagine how an idea like the Trinity might motivate us to love God and neighbor well. Can we do that together this morning? All right. Well, let's start with a little Shazam. If you don't know the game, I won't sing, um, but I will say the lyrics to a song. This is gonna be a test of how holy you are. Um, And you just holler out at me the title of the song and the artist if you know it. You must understand through the touch of your hand makes my pulse react that it's only the thrill of boy meeting girl. Opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. Oh, what's love got to do with it? (laughs) Got to do with it. What is love but a secondhand emotion? 
It's What's Love Got to Do With It, a song by Tina Turner, a song really among many songs about love. I did some research, and according to Al Gore's internet, there are over 100 million songs that have been recorded with love as a theme. And another statistic that bewildered me was that from the 1960s to the 2000s, 67% of the top 40 songs in these time periods have had love or relationships as a theme. No other category was even close. So what's love got to do with it? Well, consider with me for a moment this big idea, that the Trinity is an invitation to a dynamic knowing of God's love. The Trinity is an invitation to a dynamic knowing of God's love. The Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit is the fullest and most perfect expression of love, and it's not a self-contained love. It's a love that invites all of creation to participate. And so with this idea in mind, Imagine now that Jesus' words in the gospel are lyrics to a love song. On the surface, I don't think it would crack the top 40, but if we get below the waterline, if we get into the reality that the God who is love created out of love and then incarnated, put on flesh to personify love, and then sends the promised Holy Spirit to reveal all truth so that we can be equipped to bear that love out in the world, It's pretty compelling. It's a pretty good love song. But it's more than a song. It's a compelling invitation to a dynamic reality of the love of God that we're all living in. And so let's take it one invitation at a time this morning. There's three our triune God makes to us. The first is from the Father. The Father invites us to know the love of God through belief. Through belief. Our gospel text this morning works backwards a bit. So we see Jesus in verse 15 say, all that the Father has is mine. And what Jesus is communicating is something he's said before. It's that everything he is, everything he says, everything he does originates from a source, and that source, the Father, has shared it all with him. In other words, the Father is the originator of all communication regarding divine love. And that comes first through creation. We read and we sing about how in the beginning the earth was formless and void and God was hovering over it. In the face of the waters he spoke and created and it was good. Each week, however often we recite the creeds, we say with our mouths that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Or if you're Nicene Creed people, I think you are. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. And this is an acknowledgement that God creates, that God the Father originates. And it's an acknowledgement that God has a willingness to be more than a self-contained love. It's an acknowledgement that God creates as his first act of love. And God is creating, had created a world and a people and he called it good and the latter very good. And so the Father invites us to believe in the one who believes in us. God believes in you. Friends, the God that created all things out of love to be an expression of his love. And that is still the case. We are the beloved of God. And the invitation is to believe from an identity of belovedness and not for it. Let me say that again. The invitation is to believe from an identity of belovedness and not for it. 
And we see this in the life of Jesus twice in the gospel, specifically at the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration. We see in both these stories an audible voice saying and affirming the belovedness of Jesus and the pleasure of the Father. And both of these stories are grounding stories. They're anchoring stories, and they're stories that we're meant to find our stories connected to because they're our origin story as well. Here's why this matters, and here's where I think we often get it wrong. We root our origin stories somewhere in the garden around this idea of a fall. Many of us root our origin stories around this activity that happened with these first people and this talking snake and this piece of fruit. And we root our stories and we say the origin of our story is sin and it's shame and our destiny then is suffering. And so it all makes sense when things aren't going well in life. That's our story. That's where we started. And I'm not saying anything this morning that would demean the role of sin in our stories. Hear me clearly. I think sin is far worse than we give it credit for. That's for another sermon. What I'm saying is that place is not where your story begins. Our stories begin in the hands and the breath of a creator God who fashioned us in our mother's wombs. And the Father's inviting us this morning to believe that we are good and that we are lovable because we've been created by a good and loving God who perfectly creates and perfectly loves. And let me say it more plainly. Our origin story that we're living in and believing to be true about God is created out of love and for love. The God who loves what he's made. This matters. This is important because what we believe affects the way we live. It affects the way we move about in the world. It impacts how we exist in relationships and spaces. One of our early school years, those years where we were just trying to like keep kids alive and safe, we didn't really know what we were doing, There was a boy who was much bigger than other kids his age, and he would often run and hide in different places in the building. And on one particular day, he had ran up the stairs in our building, which is an old church, and he was in the sanctuary, and there was this banister that he climbed across, and he was leaning over a stairwell, a pretty dangerous situation. And so I was trying to sort of calmly talk him down from there, saying like, hey, buddy, want to come down? Like, this isn't cool. And then he just looks at me and says, I'm is Spider-Man. You see, he believed he was Spider-Man. And so the, the gravity and the danger of the situation didn't come into play. His activity was motivated by his belief that he was Spider-Man. And we all do this in different ways. The activity of our life is motivated by what we believe to be true about us. And so it's very important that we believe the right things about ourselves. It's very important that we believe the right things about God's love. Not so we can debate someone or wrestle them or tackle them down, but so that we can be a loving presence in the world. And so the question here for us to examine is, What do I believe to be true about the love of God? What do I believe to be true about the love of God? Friends, I will tell you that God is love and that is truer than true. It's more than idea to believe in. And so if you're struggling this morning to believe that God loves you full stop, then I would invite you this week to spend some time with a simple breath prayer. Simply breathe in, Father, 
and breathe out, I am your beloved. Father, I am your beloved. And just see how that begins to reorient your mind and reorient your heart and your posture in the world. But there's more good news this morning. God goes further than simply inviting us to believe. God sends his son Jesus that we might not just believe in love with our heads, but that we could believe love in our hearts, that we could experience it in our bodies. So the second invitation this morning is from Jesus. Jesus invites us to experience God's love. Where the Father invites us to believe, Jesus invites us to understand that the love of God is more than a concept. It's more than an idea. In verse 12, Jesus says, I got more things to say to you, but you can't bear it now. And I don't think he's saying they're incapable. I don't think he's talking down on them. I think he's acknowledging, hey, this is our last meal together, and we've seen a lot together already. Well, let's just be here. Let's just be present to one another. Because if you look back at verse four, he says this, I, just, I did not say these words to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus had been with his disciples, experiencing the world, showing them what love looks like when it puts on flesh, and he's inviting them and he's inviting us today to experience the fullness of that love so that we could know it in a transformational kind of way. You see, here's what this story is about. This whole thing, this love song is about a God who sends his son into the world. It's about the word becoming flesh. It's about God in a body. Said in another way, Jesus is the experiential knowledge of the Father. We can know what God would do because we've seen what God has done in and through the person and work of Jesus. And this is good news. We don't have to go through life wondering, what does God think about what's going on in the world? Or what would God do in this situation? We know what God would do. We know how God would respond to suffering in the world. And Jesus is inviting us to experience the love of God in such a way that we can then go and do what he did and give that love away. In the Gospels, we're invited on this adventure of stories told by firsthand witnesses to the God-man living and moving and breathing. We see Jesus born, this squishy, gross baby. And we see his family taking him on the run. We see him growing in knowledge and stature. We see him hungry and thirsty. We see him weeping when his friend dies. We see him bleeding in anguish. We see him beaten, scorned, mocked, betrayed, and ultimately killed, naked, and shamed. And in this, we know there's nothing we experience that God has not experienced. And therefore, we're invited to experientially know a God who knows our suffering well. And this is good news. This is not distant love. This is not aloof love. This is not, I love the idea of you, love. There's even better news. We get to see exactly how and what love does. Jesus tells us story after story about the love of God. Jesus tells us that the love of God is a love that runs to a self-condemning son. The love of God is one that invites the self-righteous brother into the party. The love of God leaves the 99 sheep to carry back the one. The love of God turns the house over to find the lost coin. 
The love of God touches the untouchable, welcomes the unwelcome, and frees people from social and systemic bondage. It's a love that washes feet, kisses a betrayer, and offers words of compassion even in a moment of death and suffering. Said more simply, it's active love. It's embodied love. And here's why this is hard for us. Because God enfleshes that it means we have to enflesh. It means we have to embody. And this um, American Christian evangelical experiment has taught us to disembody. I would imagine I'm not alone in having been asked to believe in a set of doctrines, pray a particular prayer, and then hold on for eternity. I'm probably not alone if, if you've been asked to turn away from suffering and pain simply by saying, oh, we've got a sin problem, not a skin problem. And it's calloused our hearts to the point of indifference in the face of grave suffering. How can it be, friends, that in a Christian nation, there have been more mass shootings this year than days in the year? How can it be that in this southern Bible Belt city, the largest gap year over year of rich and poor exists? How can it be in a country of plenty that hunger and homelessness would persist? How can it be that the number of churches would outnumber the number of children in foster care? I don't have an answer for you this morning, but I do have an invitation. The Trinity invites us to know the Son, the Son of suffering and sorrow and the resurrected King. He's the one who knows pain and the one who has defeated death. He's the one who stands with the marginalized and the vulnerable on the outside of the power structure and he invites us to be found there with him. Jesus invites us to embodiment and incarnation. So the question here is, where am I encountering Jesus in my life and in the world around me? Where am I encountering Jesus in my life and in the world around me? Well, maybe you don't see it anywhere, and that's okay. I bless that. Recently, though, I was reminded of this, and maybe this will pique something for you. I was coming home from lunch, and there was a, a woman experiencing homelessness who frequently is in our streets, and I could tell she was not in her natural state of mind, and she asked me for something to eat. And so I went in the house and got an orange and a water bottle, and I came back out to give it to her. And as I was handing it to her, she locked eyes with me, and in a moment of sober clarity said to me, Father, I need a home, and I need rest. I need a home, and I need rest. What's really profound is, when she said it to me, I felt it too. It resonated in my soul in a way that I didn't expect, and so I didn't have an answer for her. But I realized in that moment that we share a longing. And I imagine many of you are probably longing for that as well. 
And Jesus this morning invites us to experience home and rest, love and belonging and the hospitality of the Father and Son is meant to heal our souls. And so if you don't see a place that you're encountering Jesus, my encouragement to you would be to look to your longings and invite Jesus there. And he will come. Because here's the dynamic part of all this. He doesn't invite us to do this alone or in our own strength. There's even better news. The third invitation that the Holy Spirit invites us to know the love of God through intimacy. We've been invited to know the love of God through intimacy. Said really simply, the Holy Spirit animates us to activate God's love in the world and in our lives. See, Jesus' words about the Spirit to his disciples in this farewell speech of sorts, they aren't the most motivating words. (laughs) You can't handle everything that I need to tell you right now, and so someone else is gonna tell you, not me, it's the Spirit, Um, and it's gonna be what I think, but it's not really what I think, it's what the Father thinks. Jesus, what is going on? Could you tie a pretty bow on it? Could you give us a conclusion here? Could you say it in a sentence? Could you slow the music down and invite us to close our eyes and bow our heads and just make it clear for us? But the invitation here is actually much better. Jesus invited his disciples and he invites us today to the same spirit, to a life of intimacy, a life that's unfolding as we go on a continued journey of revelation of the deeper dynamics of God's love for us and the world around us. Friends, we know how the story goes. We just celebrated Pentecost last week. We know the Holy Spirit came down. And in a sentence, we find out the gospel's for everyone. If you're from Atlanta, everybody. That's good news. And then we saw that spirit animating and motivating that group of believers that was scared and afraid and hiding to go out and be loving in a hurting and disoriented world. And this morning, I'm here to bear witness to the reality of this in my life as well. You see, the idea of peace prep actually has three origin stories. I'll promise I'll tell them quickly. The first is when I was 10 years old, there was a man who prophesied to my mom in a doctor's office that one of her children would start a school. And my mom prayed for 20 years for that to happen. The second is 10 years ago, I spent 40 days and 40 nights asking God to allow me to physically dream saying like, how'd you make me? What'd you make me to do? What's this all God, love God and neighbor business about? And God showed me these three gears, the whole children, whole families, whole communities. And as best as I can describe it, I was just thinking thoughts that were not my thoughts because I'm not this smart or creative. And I was writing them down as faithfully as I could. And at the end of that, there was some sort of comprehensive mission and vision that you know people have started to follow. But the third origin story This is where it intersects with this idea of intimacy. The third is is this. I believe that peace prep was actually God's idea long before I came into the picture that God has always had a plan that includes the flourishing of all people and all places and that's born out of intimacy and that God desires to do it with us and participate with us in his plans to redeem the world. You see, God's heart for flourishing and shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it should be, 
God's heart is mercy and justice. God created all people in all places, and God is in the business today in 2022 of redeeming, renewing, and restoring. And the really cool part of all that is that God invites all of us to participate. It's an all skate, everybody in the rink. And what I've come to believe in a truer way than when we first began all this work is the world is in worse shape than I thought it was. The levels of systemic injustice and persistent evil and darkness that surround communities like the ones we live in are worse than we would like to know. But there's a greater truth, that God's much better than I thought and much more capable than I could have ever imagined. Friends, I'm a living witness to the reality that the dreams God shares with us, the truth the Spirit reveals to us, is an intimate invitation to see the hand of God at work firsthand. I often say that if I had seen all that we would experience over the last 10 years from the beginning, I probably wouldn't have said yes. I've seen and experienced some really tough stuff, just trying to follow God faithfully. But at the end of the day, the intimacy, the closeness, the tenderness, and the nearness of the Lord to me over the last 10 years or so is something I would not trade for anything in this world. What began as an idea turned into 12 kids in one kindergarten class and one teacher in this rented little warehouse space and in two months, it's gonna be 100 kids and 30 plus staff in pre-K to seventh grade and a debt-free building and an acre of land and a growing ministry providing quality, safe, dignified, affordable housing to 32 families with 20 more units in development. And I've watched God's hand bring about renewal and hope in a place that most people would just rather drive away from. And I'm here to remind this church some powerful truths as you enter into this next season you're going into. Here they are. One, the spirit that will reveal truth to you is an invitation to persist with a promise that the spirit will. So keep going and don't stop believing. The second is that the Spirit will enable you to do what Jesus did. So keep loving. And the third is this. The Spirit is God saying to us, you're never going to go alone and you're never going to go without what you need. So take risks and be sure you build a really big table because God's going to fill it. And God's going to provide forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. The Trinity invites us into the perfect reality that God lives in, where God the Father establishes love, God the Son embodies love, and God the Spirit empowers love. And oh, we need love. We need the love of the Father that invites us to believe we're loved and lovable just because we were created from love. We need the love of the son to show us how to self-sacrifice and move down and flip the power structures and oppression on its head. 
And we need the love of the Spirit who promises to never leave us alone or abandon us, to go on the journey with us and provide us everything we need. And all of that is on offer from the Trinity today. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're here with us. And they're inviting us into the unbroken union of perfect love. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment to let the Holy Spirit settle in our hearts what's been brought to the surface.